Welcome back to another Youth Centered Podcast. Really excited to have today's guest. I hope you did able to check out Pat McGravy, uh, North End of a Middle School educator, uh, talking about his civics program in year two. Uh, we posted that uh, last week, and uh, this one here, uh, we're going to get up. Obviously, I wanted to do this right before Christmas, a great Christmas story in a lot of ways uh, of a journey that a young man has gone on to. So my guest today is North End of his own Andy Roby. So Andy, first of all, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Andy, I'd like you to give your bio a little bit. You know, there will be listeners on our podcast that obviously know you, uh, but there will be a lot of people that don't. So let me ask you, who is Andy Roby? I am a North Andover resident since fourth grade, since I was nine. I moved here and I, I got into the, the youth center program pretty early, started coming to the camps, the summer fun camps, and uh, went to a graduate of North Andover High School I was a track captain, was a member of the music department. Um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, and Andy, we, um, we've always loved having you here. You're, you're looked at the last number of years as being someone that we consider one of our best counselors at Summer Fun. You actually work with the littlest kids, the kindergarten, first, and second graders. Um, and you, if you've ever seen Andy Roby, he's, he's, a, he's a tall guy. And uh, seeing him with the little kids was always amazing. But when I would talk to your superiors, uh, Nicole and Sabrina, they would always rave about how you came to work every day with just such a great attitude and all the little kids obviously loved you. So this year, in the craziest year uh, of the pandemic, um, we basically pulled off something that not many other people could do, and you were a major part of that. But sometime during the summer, I hear this story of what you're going to do at the end of the summer. So first of all, let me back up. When the pandemic hits, you're in college. I want you to talk a, a tad about that. Um, what was the spring like when this year like no other year just came and happened? Well, uh, I had been a track. I did track at UMass for my freshman year. And I remember the last practice that we had all together. We were all in our practice, indoor practice facility and having a really great time. But then it was like the next day we all went back home. And so at first I was a little excited to go back home. I didn't think it was going to be like what it actually turned out to be. And so the first week back was fine, whatever. And then it just kept getting into this, this repetitive stuff. And I just, I hated it. Um, mentally it was really difficult. I think on a lot of people can agree with that. Um, but yeah, it was it was hard. I didn't have any any enjoyment in doing school at that point. The switching to the online classes, I honestly I didn't really go to any of my classes. I didn't I wasn't an active member in my classes, any of that. Um, so I didn't want. Now, to why that was again. that, Andy? Like, what? Why were you not active? Was it just that at that point you you really couldn't concentrate on the school stuff? Are you not someone that obviously loves to be a remote learner? What was that all about? Yeah, I think it was a mix of not wanting to do the remote learning, but also I lost interest in all of the classes that I was taking. So I was an engineer major freshman year, and um, I, by the end of the year, I hated that, and I didn't want to do any part of engineering. And so having to take those classes was just like a chore for me, and I, and I just didn't want to do it. So I ended up not really doing it, which sure. probably wasn't the best thing to do, but it's what happened. And I bet a lot of people can 
agree with that's something that happened to them as well. Yeah, I mean, I talk to kids, as you know, every single day, and um, obviously I was concerned about our high school kids last year and stuff, but people didn't forget that we work closely still with a lot of our college kids, and I was blown away with, you know, how many kids were struggling, why they were struggling, how they were struggling, and uh, so I don't think your story is unique in that fact. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people struggle with that. Uh, so then we bring you on for another year of summer fun. Again, like I said earlier, a lot of people didn't think we were going to be able to pull it off, and we did. And I remember one day uh, Nicole uh, Sharp came to me, and I was asking about Andy. And she goes, did you hear what he's going to do? And I'm like, no, no. And obviously I didn't talk to you every single day. I saw you at work. But she's like, he's doing something really cool. He's not going to go back to school, and he's going to travel the country. Uh, and she mentioned, I think, that you were originally going to – one of our other employees, you were actually driving him out to his school, which I think was in the, you know, uh, you know, in the, you know, Illinois, Ohio area, somewhere in there. And uh, and then you're going to come home and then do this whole trip again. So, first of all, tell me how this came about that you wanted to do this and not go back to school as we know it. So where did that all first come from? And, you know, take us through the first process of I think I want to do this and how did the family take it, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I feel like. I had the idea that I didn't want to do online school. So that was a definite fact. I wanted to figure out something else to do. And one of my other friends, we had talked a little about doing a cross-country trip together at some point in our lives. And um, we had talked a lot. And it ended up turning out that he couldn't, he couldn't do the trip. Oops, sorry about that. Um, so I had kept pushing forward with the idea. And as the end of the summer rolled around, my dad had been really helping me out along along with the the planning and everything and he he was just like you just got to do it or not and so i ended up going for it and started planning out the actual route that i took and have it all mapped out and everything so so what so i, I assume that took place while you were working for me in the summertime mm -hmm. definitely um I, how much went into actually logistically planning how I'm going to do this? Honestly, a lot less than you'd think. So I, in my journal here, I have a, like the route that I was planning on taking, where I was going to sleep every night, all this stuff. But I didn't end up using half of the places that I found um, just because I would plan them out the day I was driving, which I was, I like doing it that way. Um, but it wasn't like a, long month process to plan out the route honestly i think i probably planned the whole trip in less than a week really yeah so when you were talking to your, to your family and your dad in particular um and i think i asked you this in a pre-meeting we had here did you have any idea of what this whole thing was going to cost because i think you told me you had you had a budget that you were planning for mm -hmm. and it's it's amazing to me how much you were able to stay in that budget which we'll talk about later but how did you factor that into the planning a budget um, the, a close family friend of ours, the Lathrops, uh, Julian Lathrop did a trip like similar to mine, um, after he graduated high school. And so I wasn't able to go to their house and meet up with him, but my dad ended up, uh, my mom and dad went over for drinks with their parents, I think. And Julian explained a lot of his trip to my dad and different things that he didn't think he would have needed, but ended up needing and all sorts of different things. And he told me his budget, which was similar to the one that the one that I was using, and he went for a full year and was able to stay in his, I think, it was thirty five hundred dollar budget. And so hearing that number, I was like, okay, I think I could 
realistically spend that same amount of money doing my trip as well, being alone. And you were using your own car, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm assuming before you even thought about taking play, you made sure the car was going to be able to make this trip, mm -hmm. correct? Definitely. And we'll talk a little bit later about how uh, we did have a little problem with the car. But um, so pretty much as we wind down summer fun in the early August, I meet with you as I met with everybody to kind of debrief this crazy year we had. And I think you knew I was kind of really excited about hearing about your, your journey. So this is something that, and I've told you before, I think at a, as a person of my age, I almost am jealous that I never probably had the courage at your age to do what you did. And we'll, we'll talk obviously about the journey, but I was very excited. And, you know, we made a deal that day, you know, that I wanted you to come back and, and talk to us. And, you know, I think you and I have talked about a few plans that we want to do to kind of actually turn this into a little bit of an educational thing. You've, you've did a blog, you've got beautiful pictures. And I think this is an educational thing we can do with probably collaborating with the high school and the library uh, to basically showcase what your journey was all about. So when I said goodbye to you in August, um, and I told you to keep in touch and, and you did, uh, which was great. You'd send me some stuff, which was awesome. So the day comes that you're about to be ready on this trip. What was your feelings and what was your, you know, let's be honest, what was your parents' feeling? It's a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Their son has decided to, to, to do this journey. Again, obviously in a global pandemic, were there concerns by you or your mom or your dad that this was a great idea, Andy, but is it the best time to go? Yeah, definitely. My mom was in that general area of thinking. Um, she... She was definitely on board, but she was had more concerns than my dad did for sure. Um, COVID-wise, they weren't as nervous, I think, as just me leaving. Um, my mom was really making sure that I had like a place to sleep every night, like that, those sort of sort of things, like moms do. Um, but yeah, I was I was more just nervous to like get out there because the first stop I made was at my brother's frat house in Syracuse. So I wasn't really nervous to leave the first day because I knew where I was going and everything. But like the fourth or fifth day is once I really got out into the middle of nowhere, um, I started getting a little more nervous for sure. But I don't. I was more excited to to get out there. I think from the start, so there weren't too many nerves going into it. Good. And as your you know parents um, said goodbye to you, um, you were off onto this adventure. Um, little Jack London-ish that you were really going out and exploring different things. So first stop, uh, I suppose you the first day you drove directly to Syracuse, if I'm mm -hmm. correct, right? Um, and you, you meet up with your brother and probably his friends or whatever. And then uh, how long did you stay in Syracuse? Just a night. Just a night. Mm -hmm. So then you kind of say goodbye to your brother, and now it's unfamiliar territory, yeah. right? Your like, direction is now... Definitely your direction and depending on everything from weather and how many miles you travel a day. So take me where this started from Syracuse, New York. So from Syracuse, I took a pit stop at Niagara Falls, um, hung out there for a little while. I ended up locking my keys in my car hmm. like right when I got there. So I had to hang out there for a little bit longer for AAA to help me out. Um, and then from Niagara Falls, I went to a little state park in Indiana because I was planning, there's a national park called Indiana Dunes, but all the campgrounds were booked there, so I found a different state park pretty close. And what part of Indi Indiana, I mean, I've been to Indiana, what part of Indiana is that? Up by the, the Great Lakes. Okay, the so the northern part, mm -hmm. okay. And then from there, I decided to go to Chicago and get a slice of pizza, 
deep dish. Yep. And it, it was it was good. I I wouldn't say it was just like a life changing <laughs> meal, but um, it was very good, and I'm glad I got to experience that. And then from Chicago, I I drove out to Eastern South Dakota, and just I think I slept in my car somewhere. In so a, you went from stop. Chicago to Eastern South Dakota. How how long was that? I mean, was that, that a was one? Like a, yeah, that was. I drove through the night. Through the night, okay. So it was like an eight hour, seven hour drive. Um, and then from there, I I went out to the Badlands in South Dakota and met up with one of my close friends, Jack Lopez. And he he met up with me a few parts of the trip actually, which was really awesome. And then from the Badlands, I made my way through another national park out to Grand Teton in Wyoming. And actually on that way out to Grand Teton, there was a blizzard. So that was like a week into my trip. And all, most of the roads in Wyoming were completely shut down because- So what did you do? Uh, sat in my car, in my sleeping bag, and read a book. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. A lot of reading, which was surprising because I hated reading all my life. Now, were you pulled over somewhere? Are you on a street, in a park? Okay, you're in a truck stop. Okay. And then uh, from Wyoming, or from Grand Teton, I drove up to Yellowstone, then to Glacier in Montana, which was was really awesome to be up there. And then through Idaho, out to Olympic National Park in Washington, down the coast to Crater Lake in Oregon, uh, the Redwoods in California. You want me to just keep going through the- Yeah, why don't you take us through, and then I'm gonna have a number of questions along the way, but take us through the whole course. Yeah, so then from um, the Redwoods, I met up with my cousins in Cupertino, outside of San Francisco. And then I also met up with Jake Seatack, another summer fun employee. Oh yeah, yeah okay. Because he's at UCAL Berkeley, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So we went out to lunch together, which was really awesome. And then I went down to Yosemite, Kings Canyon and Sequoia National Parks, which was really awesome. I loved those three. Then down into LA, San Diego, um, Joshua Tree National Park, and then into Arizona, where I, that was my longest stretch of, of the trip because of the, the car. Accident. Yeah, hold on that story, because we're going to actually talk about that in a little bit. Um, and then from there, I went up to the Grand Canyon, Zion National Park, Bryce Canyon. I hit all the parks in Utah, actually, which was really awesome. And then into Colorado, into Boulder, where I stayed with Jack again. Um, I went to Denver, and I stayed with my cousins. And then from Denver, I drove out through Oklahoma into Kentucky. And this was like my route home. I, I kind of, I went home in like four days, I think, from Colorado to North Andover. Sure. Because I was just ready to get home. And so I had a few stops in Mammoth Cave National Park in Kentucky and then Shenandoah in Virginia. And then from there, I kind of booked it straight home. Just worked it straight up north mm-hmm. from there. So let's. So that's the that's the skinny on literally your route and how you took it. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about because I know there's probably some very eager kids that want to listen to this, and then there'll be some nervous parents listening to this also. Talk to me a little bit about like every day that you called it a day. Like how did you plan? 
where and how you were going to be sleeping someplace. And take us through the various places that you actually slept in. And we obviously heard you slept in a car during the blizzard, but uh, what, what were the types of places you went to? Majority, it was campgrounds. So I slept in a lot of campgrounds, especially in the national parks. A lot of national forests have free camping anywhere, so you can do whatever. And so I slept there a bunch. And then a solid third of the nights I was in my car, definitely. And then also a now, mix. Now, why did you choose? Was that just made it the most sense to stay in your car? That and, like, it would be driving, like, an eight-hour day. And then I'd just find a rest stop or something and sleep there okay. instead of having to find an actual campground or something like that. that sure. That would take a lot more time. So in a lot of ways, that was easier than trying mm -hmm. to research how far exactly. you are from a okay. And I and I wrote down a bunch of like free campgrounds in my book, but honestly, a lot of them were more suspicious than staying in my car. Sure. Like a rest stop. Right. So I felt better sleeping where other people were sleeping, and oftentimes there were other people sleeping in the rest stops. So okay. I, when you I, say I when you there. say suspicious, what what do you mean by that? Well. I think my mom was wanted me to stay safe, obviously, yeah. and so sleeping in rest stops were were not her number one idea for me to be doing. But sure. it was just like a lot of these places that I have were like GPS coordinates that I'd be going to, which isn't a very secure location. Right. And uh, I don't really know what's there and what's not, and so being able to just pull off the road and sleep there and then get back on the main road instead of having to go off like 20 minutes out of the way. It just made, it was a lot more efficient for me to be staying there. And okay. I felt very safe in those places. There Good. was never really a time where I was scared for anything to happen to me. Good. Now the second thing that moms and pops and concerned people out there is, you know, we now know that where you stood, stayed overnight, how did you eat like, where did you eat? Did you have a budget for that? And uh, I know we've talked about some great stories you had where you've met people where you've actually been able to, um, you know, share different foods with different people. And maybe you can talk a little bit about the whole food experience also. So the majority of it was I brought a little camp stove and I was cooking oatmeal for breakfast, like peanut butter and jelly for lunch and then pasta for dinner almost probably a solid half of the meals was that. And so that I was able to cook wherever I wanted. Oftentimes it was on the trunk of my car, on the roof of my car I'd be cooking. Um, a few other times, like you said, there were people that would bring me in to have a meal with them, which was really awesome. One story in particular was in Glacier National Park when I met up with th this Nepalese family who ended up bringing me to their motel room and cooked me a, a authentic Nepalese meal and let me shower and ended up letting me stay in their motel room as well that night, which was incredible. Were you surprised that someone would do that? And were you nervous of doing that? Yes and yes. Um, I don't know if it's just me, but like growing up in Massachusetts, I don't think we have the you don't find people that have the same hospitality, I think, than when you're in the in the woods hiking around. Like, it's a different type of person you find. Sure. And so I was very surprised to find a, a family that invited me to, to come over and eat with them and stuff like that. Um, I forgot the second question. Well, I mean, just, you know, 
you just kind of answered both of you. Obviously, it is kind of a little weird, right, yeah. in terms yeah. of, and then, you know, there's a trust issue. Mm -hmm. uh, but you had met, you had told me the story, you had met this family kind of twice in a day and uh, or a couple of days, and I think you felt a more comfortable with them. And uh, mm -hmm. I think my first question for you that I had when I saw you when you got back was, Nepalese food, what's it like? It's really spicy. It's similar to Indian food. Um, it was very, very spicy, but it was delicious. Chicken and rice that type of food sure very very good flavors did you you know obviously that was almost a um a luxury to a certain degree and i know you had mentioned i think that your mom and dad had budgeted an occasional time that you could go out to a real restaurant mm -hmm. and get real food those other days where you were having the oatmeal the pb and j and the pasta how old did that get for you are you good with were you good with that almost on a regular basis I kind of forced myself to be good with it, but it definitely got old very quickly. Um, when I'm sure I, you're not having too much oatmeal, PB&J, and pasta right now, none. right? Okay. I don't think I've touched any of that since okay. I've been home. So talk a little bit about the budget. Um, so I, I think you blew me away um, with what it actually really cost. And um, minus the uh, car problem out in Arizona, what did something like this cost you for that entire trip? $3,500. 30, you were able to do it on $3,500. Minus the, the car, yeah. Right, which is, uh, why don't we get into that? So you were out in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Things are going well. And I always, as a parent and as someone that's done a lot of driving um, throughout the country, actually, um, I always get worried about, does a, is a car going to make it or whatever? Yeah. So my first questions were you even before you left was, how's the car? Have you had anything checked, blah, blah, blah. So sounds like the car was doing really well until we headed out to the left coast there. So what happened in Arizona? Yeah, so it was the day one of my best friends, Elliot Schoonmaker, was flying into Arizona to meet me on the trip uh, about two hours before his flight landed. I was going into Phoenix, I think, just to walk around and see the, see the city. And I'm merging off the highway, and the traffic off the highway was completely stopped. And I, I thought it was like slowly, slowly creeping, but it wasn't. And as I merged to the exit, um, I went to slow down, and I, pr I, th I think I pressed my brakes too hard, and the wheels just locked up and skid. Sure. And then I rear-ended this woman. Um, yeah, that was a that was a bad day. Definitely the worst day of the trip. So you get out of your car. Obviously, you want to make sure the woman's all right, yep. you're all right, or whatever. But the car had damage. So take me through that whole process. Yeah, so the, the hood was, like, scrunched in. The core support beam was pressed against the radiator. But nothing was leaking from the car, which is great. So I was able to drive off the highway and get, um, get to where I need to go. This is actually a pretty crazy story. As I was getting off the highway... There was a, a homeless person standing begging for money, and his sign said something like he just needed a meal. And I had $4 left in my wallet, and so I gave him the $4 saying that he needed it more than I did. And we, we talked for a second, and the light turned green. And then six days later when I, my car ended up getting fixed, they, I found a guy that was able to just do some under-the-table body work on it. And the original cost of the the car was supposed to be $524. And then when I went to pay for it, the woman was like, oh, you can just give me 520 So it was like those $4 really? that I had given away came back and helped me out. Interesting. Like 
Wow. My mom really loves that story. It's a great. That's yeah. a great story. That's a great story. So obviously, you spent a little more time uh, there, but then the car was able to get up and running, and obviously, oh, yeah. you were able to make the way back. So about halfway through the trip, I get a text from you, and you you share uh, a link that I can check out your blog. Tell me a little bit about how the blog got started, why you did the blog, and I need you to start talking about your, I know you consider yourself an amateur photographer, but some of your pictures are totally outstanding. And I know we're not gonna be able to really show this on a podcast, but I'm hoping in future times where we have you make a presentation to our community that we can show some of those things. So how did the whole blog, photography, talk to me about all that. Um, so going into it, I had no photography experience, but I wanted to have I wanted to bring a camera with me so I could take pictures, obviously. So I bought like a pretty beginner camera. It was less than $200. And my it was, the blog was started just because my family forced me to. Um, they wanted something to see that I'm okay, still alive, and where I am. And so that was the main purpose of the blog. But it, it turned out to be like one of the most fun things to do. And taking pictures was the most fun thing that I was able to do on the trip. And, yeah, I, I'd like to say that I took some pretty cool pictures, too. So it's interesting because you didn't tell me that side of the story. So your mom and your dad tell you they want you to do a blog. Mm -hmm. And I, I never looked at it that way. As a parent, yeah. I look at it. Now I'm like, that's exactly what you do. Because, you know, the reality is you're not going to text me every day. You're not going right. to call me. Exactly. Um, I got to know you're okay. And by following along a blog which sees that you're alive and you're having fun and you're smiling, um, that's a pretty cool reason to start the blog. Yeah, exactly. But I got to think this blog took on a whole different life as far as documenting your journey. Yeah, definitely. Um, looking back on it now, being able to scroll through and see where I went and the pictures that I was able to take, it was, it's really cool to have something, and I'm glad that my, my parents and grandparents forced me to, to stay up, keep up with the blog and stuff like that. So definitely, I've, and I've loved, I've loved taking pictures ever since. Yeah, and some of the pictures, people, are, is outstanding. He's brought a couple in today, but he's shown me some other ones, and uh, we're going to get a couple of them up on um, when we promo this uh, podcast so you can see some of the stuff on that. How much did you, besides the blog, how much did you communicate with mom, dad, siblings, grandparents? Um, was, there a, was there a deal that you check in once a week or anything like that? How, how much communication? I had made a deal that I was going to check in at least once a week, but it ended up turning out I was calling my dad almost every day. Same with my mom. It was a little harder because she was working and my dad works from home, so it was easier to be calling my dad than my mom. But I definitely was talking to my whole family multiple times a week. So sure. in, in this day and age of technology, that's pretty cool, right? So mm -hmm. you're halfway across or all the way across the country and you still can get in contact. I think about when I was your age, I mean, I would have had to find a payphone somewhere, right? right? And, and that in itself would have been an experience. Um, so in terms of the blog, um, you, you put that together and how often now that you've been back, do you revisit the blog? Not as much as I think I should. Um, I've only checked it out a few times, honestly, but think talking about it now, I think when I get home, I'm definitely going to take a look at it. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about a little bit about the people, right? So you brought up something that I totally agree with. We live in the Northeast here, which I think things are, are real fast. Um, I, I think at certain times, I don't think people are so preoccupied or whatever. Sometimes, uh, the niceness factor is not great. I, I've spent a lot of time in the Midwest, um, 
my um, my guy George Niang went to school in Iowa State, so I spent four years out in Iowa. And to be honest with you, Iowan people are just so much different than Massachusetts people. Talk to me a little bit region by region um, about the different people you met and any any kind of people that really stood out for you. I know you were lucky enough to have some of your friends meet you along the way. Uh, it was pretty cool that you had some family in a certain parts of the country. You were able to connect with them. But how about how about some of the people you just met on an everyday basis? Um, traveling through the Midwest, it's, it's a completely different vibe than you get in New England. Um, it's, it's kind of weird how nice people are coming from New England. Like this is the most bizarre story that I have from the trip. Probably when I was in Yellowstone national park, I had been camping for, I think three nights and I was, I was leaving to fill up my, my big five gallon water jug that I kept with me the whole trip. Um, this man approached my car and just started talking to me and asked me about where I was from because he saw the Massachusetts license plate. And it ended up turning out that he had worked in Tewksbury off of Dascombe Road, so very close by. And he lived in New Hampshire for a while. And we talked for probably less than 10 minutes and I ended up getting his phone number and he invited me to come out to stay with him in Idaho after I leave Glacier. So like two stops from where I was. And that was just the most crazy thing ever because I ended up going going out to Idaho and staying with him and his wife for two nights. And this spring, I'm probably going to go back out to Idaho and, and meet up with him again. Yeah, I didn't know that's how that came about. We'll talk about that towards the end because yeah. I want to tell people about a new decision you've made mm -hmm. on that whole thing. But obviously, small world, right? Tuxery's right around the corner and you meet this guy out there yeah. that is it's part great. of that. Um, what, what about some of the other, you know, types of people you met? Did, was it, were people friendly along? Were they helpful? Uh, even all the way down to when you had the car issue, did you feel like people rallied around this kid that was by himself trying to, you know, do this journey by himself? Yeah, I definitely say so. You meet a lot of people just hiking through the woods and stuff. You'll come across people and have small conversations and everyone's so open to talk, which, which is weird me and specifically the car situation I had been driving around Phoenix for like two or three hours trying to find a, an auto body shop that would fix my car for me and I found this one one guy who was one of the nicest people I've ever met and him and his wife they gave us cookies as we left and I think I have to send I, I haven't sent him a picture of the car but I have to send him a picture of the car that made it home now um, but yeah it was weird meeting meeting these different people and even people that had different different views than than I did um, like political wise whatever yeah. even those people you're able to have a, a wonderful conversation with and you don't get the like any malicious vibes that's great because I think you know I talked about you and I talked about this I mean the dec decisiveness in this country right now is just very disheartening to mm -hmm. me um, and you went to all parts of the country that have very different views whether Absolutely. it be liberal views conservative views you know, pro pro Trump, you know, anti Trump, uh, you know, you know, Democratic views, Republican views, et cetera, et cetera. And it's good to hear that in a lot of ways people could put apart their politicals. I think that's what we should be doing, Definitely. right? I think deep down I think people are good people and, and we try to deal with that. So you've you've actually were able to kinda navigate that pretty good with that. 
you know, nothing is obviously always perfect. Talk to me a little bit about were there some people that you met that you made you a little nervous or just even hardships of the trip? What, what was some, I mean, again, we heard the biggest hardship with the car happening, but um, if someone was thinking about doing this, you know, what are some, you know, maybe some things you were a little nervous about either people or places? Honestly, there were not very many times where I was that nervous. I think... I got homesick a few times, but I, I, that's completely normal. Sure. But there weren't, I'm trying to think of it right now. There weren't many people or places that I went that I felt unsafe or like something could happen, anything like that. So then I was pretty lucky to have that happen, I think. That's great. Yeah, that's definitely great. Any in terms of the logistics and just doing this whole thing in terms of a hardship? Because you're a kid that I've always known as, you kind of roll with things. I you know, I don't see a kid that panics at everything. You you kind of, you have a good head on your shoulders, and I think you kind of figure things out. Where um, some people, are, quite frankly, are impatient. I know just even that car incident would have probably panicked a number of people and freaked them out. Sounds like you just you know it sucked, but you kind of rolled with it, right? I was definitely freaking out a little bit, but yeah, I had to. I mean, there wasn't many other options at that point. I think the hardest thing for someone to do this would be like getting the right equipment and so sure. i had one of my close family friends the websters they gave me a bucket load of of, equi of camping equipment and stuff like that that i used and really saved my life for sure. a lot of different things one thing that i should have packed more of was warm clothes okay um i got cold towards the end of the trip in in utah and colorado but um so preparation. So, yeah. you know, one of the things when we when we take your your story a little bit on the road here, we would talk about preparation. And obviously clothing is a big yeah. part of that. Um, the way you did it for the cost you did it, camping equipment is, is vital, right? right? You gotta be able to cook your own food, you know, sleeping bags, ever et cetera, et cetera. So being prepared, I think obviously Absolutely. is a key on that whole thing. When you got back and you've been back for a bit now, um, Talk to me a little bit about yourself. So if I'm correct, you left an engineering major who was quite a questioning, you know, whether I want to stay in engineering. Um, what have you learned about yourself right now? Who is, who is Andy Roby post-trip as opposed to pre-trip? I, I don't know. I, I'm very against school right now. I've, ta I've been having conversations with my parents a lot about this. Um, I know what I want to study, but I don't want to study it now, if that makes sense. Sure. Because I want to go towards an environmentalism, that type of, of career path. And I don't want to do it online, but I think I'm going to have to do a little of it. But I've definitely changed to become more of a outdoor. I'm very outdoorsy now. I wasn't as before, but now, like I told you earlier, I've, I've been rock climbing a lot. Um, hiking, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, that's, I, there haven't been too many changes, but definitely a few. So one of the things we did talk about is you are becoming more of an outdoorsy person. And, you know, in a lot of ways, this is, you know, an obvious thing that comes from a trip like that. You were camping most of that time. So, you know, and, and I think the Northeast is a wonderful place for being outdoors, rock Absolutely. climbing everywhere, indoor, outdoor rock climbing, you know, our presidential range and everything with hiking and, and stuff. This is a beautiful part of the country on that. 
So we're in a crazy time, and you're not the only one that's questioning the existence right now of schooling this way. Um, do you see yourself, I think I heard this, correct me if I'm wrong, that you know what you want to study, and it might be something in the environmental field, but you don't see yourself doing it back at age 20, but maybe when I'm 23, 24. Is that kind of what you're looking at? Yeah, I definitely want to. I'm, I have so many mixed feelings because I want to get my degree just so I can sure. be done with it, but I don't want to do it kind of thing. Right. But, yeah, that's definitely inaccurate. And, and now that you're home, okay, and, you know, I'm sure your mom and dad are, you know, are just ecstatic that you are back home and you're safe and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, what are they – what do you think they see of their new son? And I don't want to say new son, but obviously things have changed, and this trip – has been a great experience for you and has probably opened your mind to, you know, what I may want to do, what I may not want to do, things like that. How's your mom? They, they seem to be extremely supportive of you just by even doing this trip. Mm -hmm. How are they now with the Andy that's not 100% sure what he wants to do? They're, they're still definitely supportive. Um, I think, yeah, we, we have similar thoughts. Like, they both agree that I think it'll be smart to continue my education and, but they also are aware that I don't like my heart's not in that right now. Right. So it's, it's a hard thing to balance figuring out what, what I should do versus what I want to do and all those different, different ideas going around right now. How is Andy different in December of 20 than he was maybe when he left in August? I think I, I like to think that I grew a lot as a person being out um, by myself for a while. I think I'm more aware of of issues, and I'm trying to think of like a right way to put this, but like world issues and how they affect people and how people should react and act towards those things. And I think I've grown as a person to be more like empathetic and understanding of different things. And I don't think you get a lot of that living in North Andover. Mm -hmm. It's hard to find those other experiences and how other people live. Um, but being able to drive through all sorts of different places, you really see how other people are living versus how you are. Sure. And so I think I'm very, I'm very gracious for what I have because like driving through Portland, Oregon was very, was very sad because you drive through the highways and there are just tents and tents of homeless people. And a lot of it isn't, um, like mental health issues. It's just economic homelessness. Sure. And so you see a lot of things like that and it puts your life in perspective really well. And so I think that I've definitely grown a lot. I know this is after August, but from December to August, I think I've been going towards that change and then going on the trip just really reinforce that yeah, whole thing. Sure. So what would you say, and this is kind of a two part question, what would you say to some young folks, male or female, that would consider a trip like you did? And what would you say to their parents that might be nervous of something like this? I think as long as you set up some sort of, you have a solid plan and you're communicating with them, I think there shouldn't be any, any fears. I think especially a lot of a lot of trips like these people go with a friend or something and so something like that would be i think very doable and less fears would be around that than going alone 
but I think it, it was such a great experience for me to be alone and be on my own and figure things out for myself. And every, I think just kids in general need that ability to have that chance to, to really be on their own, whether it's at 19 or you go in 23 or something. Sure. But I think it's a really good experience. And I th you've talked about it, how sheltered this community is. And I think that's, it's such a good way to get out and push through that boundary of being so sheltered. Come out of that comfort zone and experience life. You know, and again, you know, I love North Andover. I, I do think that people and kids your age need to understand it's, it's a little, there's more than North Andover. Definitely. I mean, heck, we only have to go two miles down the road to Lawrence to see a totally different economic situation. Um, but what would you say to the parents of those kids? Be supportive. I think with my parents' support, it made it so much easier to be comfortable doing what I was doing. Uh, my dad was constantly pushing me to, to do more things that I enjoy. And it, it, it's just so much nicer to have people in your corner when you're doing something like this as opposed to like rebelling and going against someone. So I think having that support and someone to fall back on always like if I was ever in trouble I know I could always just drive home or mm -hmm. talk to my parents figure something out talk to my family anyone and so I think having that that group of people in your corner is really helpful and I think that's the most important thing absolutely sure. absolutely no, that's great um, as you kind of came back here uh, we sat down and talked and then you kind of didn't blow me away because nothing surprises me with with you in terms of some of the things, but you talked to me about that you might be heading back out again and talk, you started to talk a little bit about it. Talk about our friend out in Idaho and what that um, second trip's gonna be for you and what that's all about. Yeah, so my friend Rich out in Idaho, he has, I believe, 102 acres of land right on Lake Coeur d'Alene in the panhandle of Idaho. And so his plan, he's a retired, I think, chem engineer or sale, he was an engineer, but he worked in sales, that type of thing. And he's been trying to live as sustainably as possible out in Idaho. And so he offered me a job to come out and work his land and help put up um, A-frame cabins and yurts to, for his campground, different things like that, put solar panels on his house. And so it's just an, an opportunity for me to do something in the field that is very sustainable sustainable and environmentally friendly and definitely something that I could see myself doing uh, when I'm older. And with all the confusion with what's happening with school and everything, it definitely seems like the number one option for me right now. So when do you plan on heading out there? It'd be a, around mid-March. Okay. And your take is to probably stay out there through the summer? If things will... If they'll go as well as I in my head they're going to go, that's my plan, yeah. Okay, awesome. All right, a couple more questions before we wrap up. Obviously, we could talk for hours on this. Um, we talked a little bit about the new traveler in you and that traveling is something you're interested in doing. And, 
as I look at logistically how you did this trip, which what I would call more of a northern route, and then you did come back mm. a tad on the southern route, but there's still other parts of the country mm. that, uh, what's the future traveling either domestically or on foreign soil? What, what, what would be some of the destination points this travel would like to do over the next decades? Um, my top three are Alaska, because there are like six national parks in Alaska that I, I love to go to, and then New Zealand, is on my list and probably Norway is the third but nice. New, New Zealand would be really cool because uh, it's the Lord of the Rings so you're yep. hiking through that and their economy is very hiking based and it so is. they have these little camps set up um, that you pay less than 10 bucks a night and they'll have a bed for you so you don't have to be lugging like 50 pounds on your back going on these long hiking journeys you just can carry your food and you'll have a place to stay every night. And so that I think would be like one of the coolest trips ever. Yeah. And I'm actually, that would be a really cool trip. I, I'm a big fan of Norway. Why Norway for you? I've seen the pic like pictures of the coastline. Beautiful. And it's, I've never seen anything like that. Stunning actually. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And then obviously I told you my story of my, my elderly mother many years ago with her trip to Alaska. And it's, mm -hmm. it was probably the highlight of her life. And, and uh, she wasn't obviously camping like you would be, but um, the experience of Alaska, the pictures I saw, you know, her documentation of everything was real impressive. So that's that's an awesome uh, three trips, and hopefully in yeah. the future for you, and hopefully, hopefully you'll get to do that. Let me finish with asking you, I'm a people-oriented person, and I believe that we're all on journeys, and you're a young guy, and and I'm, I'm obviously much older than you, um, but I believe in my journey, people have come along that have helped me, and some of it's profound help, some of it's just giving $4 to a homeless person. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit of what you've learned about the people that you really connected with, and I'm gonna put it on you. Are you gonna keep in touch with them? I mean, these were people that to a certain degree in a very small way, I know you're not gonna be able to probably find that homeless person when you pulled off the highway, but obviously the Idaho guy we talked about, you know, the person that fixed your car and get right. it back. I mean, I actually think that person would love to hear from you that his work yeah. and his compassion and obviously giving you some cookies with his wife and everything else was one of the reasons why you made it back safely. So. Talk to me a little about the, the people you met and how that's affected you, and are you gonna keep in contact with any of the ones that you can? Um, definitely, Rich, me and him talk on a week-to-week week -week basis. Uh, we had a phone call, I think, two nights ago, and so me and him are definitely gonna keep in touch. Uh, I Like I said earlier, I have to send um, Jim over at MPG Auto in Phoenix, Arizona, a postcard or something like that. Um, but then I think people in general, I was really able to find out that like if you're if you treat people well they'll treat you well sure and so if you go into any situation with a smile and I was trying to smile the like the entire trip and it makes you happier and so just trying to be as friendly as you possibly can I think really really is beneficial to anyone because you'll find people that you didn't think would be as friendly to you Absolutely. No, it's pretty powerful with that. Andy, I, um, I've said this to you before. Um, I see a little bit of uh, my son in you. 
you know, he was a talented athlete, but he told me one year in high school he didn't want to be defined as an, an athlete. He wanted to do things and be empathetic and caring, and he's taken on a career as an addiction therapist and working with the homeless, and it's really his passion. And when I saw early young, I mean, you're a tall kid. I know people had you pegged just as a, you know, is he a basketball player, is he a track player? And I saw the saxophonist. I didn't actually see the athlete. I saw some parts about you that I was like, God, I, I, I like this kid because he's, you know, he's not afraid to try different things or whatever. And then I'm, you know, obviously I've been blown away. You've been a great worker for us here at the youth center and what you bring to the table in terms of the person you are. And then this, uh, this amazing trip, like I am jealous. I told you that in August and I told you that the other day when we met, um, I wish I probably had had the courage that you had to actually do this. Um, because I think this was a trip of a lifetime for Absolutely. you and I'm hoping you have many more trips of a lifetime, but it is impressive. You're an impressive young man, and you know what we think of you here at the YC, and we wish you all the best of the luck. Um, for the listeners, we are trying to um, uh, I'll call it the Andy Roby tour, but I do have some visions of Andy expanding this where he can actually show some of his photography work, where he can share his blog, um, maybe even talk to, you know, we talked about Steve Nugent at the high school and maybe you know, talking to kids that, you know, maybe feeling like they need to maybe do some kind of an experience like this before they head to school and kind of like a gap year type of thing. And I do believe Kathleen Keenan down at the library would love to have you as a monthly speaker to do this. Now, again, we're in a crazy time with the pandemic and hopefully, you know, by the springtime, we can actually have live audiences with things like right. that. But I also think we can do it virtually too. So Absolutely. sky's the limit with that. You said you're on board with that. And, Definitely. you know, we have a little bit of a time limit because it looks like you're going to be heading out in March. So we probably got to fast track this. But again, Andy, this was wonderful. I, I really appreciate you coming on the uh, You Center podcast. Thank you for having me. And as we finish every podcast, we always say too much passion is never enough passion.